viewers and indeed anybody that's tuning in for the first time and welcome to another one in our long-running series, 102 episodes in fact this is, uh, of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. My name's David Lloyd and I have with me two experts in the field of financial well-being. Tomo, tell us about yourself. Come first again, haven't I? Thank you. Thank you, David. I, I, I'm going to take that as a win. Uh, yeah, I'm giving Chris <laughs> top billing. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> enough. Always the understudy. Um, so yeah, Tom Morris, uh, Director and Charter Financial Planner over at Ovation Finance in Bristol, also a director over at the Institute for Financial Wellbeing. So I hope that gives me the right to be on a podcast talking about financial well-being it certainly does but the man that probably has more right than anybody oh, is the goodness. man that wrote a book about it chris who are you who are you uh hello everybody um chris bud uh, was a financial planner sold ovation finance to employee ownership trust so ovation is now majority owned by a trust for the benefit of the employees which we should probably mention every once in a while actually because mm. people won't know about that it's five and a uh, half and- years ago Where's that time gone? It was, I know. Um, And, uh, yeah, author of a number of books, several novels, um, and the Financial Wellbeing book, and latterly, freshly out, The Four Cornerstones of Financial Wellbeing. Excellent. Well, um, what can I share with you? I've just come back from a very nice holiday. I thought I'd say that. uh, uh, It's the end of August now. We took our motor home and we drove around Europe. We drove down France and went to Italy and then went back up through um, Switzerland, Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, France and back home again. 2,000 miles I drove, but it was very, very uh, exciting and a really good holiday. And um, yeah, I kind of quite like that motorhome van life. Right. Okay, that's enough waffle. Um, Chris, what's happening on today's podcast? Today we're going to uh, hear from a guy who I would probably consider to be my one of my mentors, a guy called Jan Bowen Nielsen. Wait, wait, uh, cotton picking minute! Didn't you mention him in the last podcast? I did, I did. So I trained to be a business coach back in two thousand and well, I qualified in two thousand thirteen. Took me two years to get first a certificate and then the diploma, um, which is an awful long time to learn how to not talk so much. <laughs> which is what I would say the biggest takeaway I had from that process and Jan was uh, kind of my supervisor so he taught me uh, really all I know about about coaching and he's um, ever so smart uh, he's Danish um, but been in the UK for a long long time and so I wanted to talk to him about particularly the difference between a goal and an objective um, because we talk about intrinsic motivations and finding meaning and purpose in life and this kind of stuff how do we actually do that so that's what I wanted Jan to share us a bit with. I hope that's what he's given us. Excellent. Well, I shall look forward to that. But before we go on with that, obviously, we need to move on to the high point of the podcast. Tight ass Tomo. Right, Tomo, what's your tip? Uh, I've, I've, I've got a, a practical one uh, from a fellow financial planner and good friend, uh, Rich Ellis. Uh, Chris knows Rich and, and, and he sent me a link. It's called discountdragon.co.uk. Um, so I went on there and it's basically lot, lots of big brands that people um, are familiar with, lots of uh, food related big brands, and they're just all massively discounted. It's almost like getting, you know, a cash and carry style pricing, but on a, on a website. So yeah, Discount Dragon, um, yeah, some great deals that are on there. So yeah, 
we're all trying to watch what we spend, especially, especially on our food bill at the moment. It's hard to avoid. It's gone up significantly in the in the past year or so. So yeah, Discount Dragon, go check it out. Excellent. So saving money on your food bills, which uh, is such a large, well such a large part of our and anyone's budget, isn't it? Let's get on to the main event today, which is Chris's interview with Jan Bowen Nielsen. Good afternoon, Jan. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Good afternoon, Chris. Good to be here. So look, yeah, what we're talking about, you and I have known each other for a long time and, and, and you've trained me in how to be a coach and all that. Um, so we've had this conversation a few times, you and I, but I want to get into helping the public, our listeners, into how to work out their own purpose and meaning in life. Because it's quite a big, daunting question, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and daunting for the individual that has to ask it themselves, but a little bit easier if you're sitting self-reflecting in some respects, I think, uh, as in terms of when are you, when do you feel ready to ask yourself the question? You can time it yourself. You can put yourself in a good place, nice and quiet, not too much disturbance, start to think it through. Interestingly, I think the perspective I usually work with advisors is when they sit in a room for an hour uh, or so with a client and then ask these questions the quality of answers and responses and the thinking of the client that's not easy to get that right so the client feel at the end actually yes that was my purpose more likely than not they will go back go away and ponder it for quite a while because it doesn't not i don't think it's it's not a gut instinct answer i think multi-stage process then it's not going to happen in one go there will be people that probably know it because it is actually something they think about or yeah. it's become really clear in their life to them. Um, but the majority of people probably know we're far too homogenous uh, biased and conformity biased. We try and be like everybody else, not to be too different. Um, yeah. And that, I think, can ruin that sort of what's my purpose rather than what's generally people's purpose. Yeah, yeah. I, that's uh, best summed up by somebody when we were talking about a different subject, talking about attitude to risk. And I asked somebody when I was a financial advisor, what's your attitude to risk? And he said, I don't know. What does everybody else say? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so look, let's start off because this is a, a first uh, distinction about the difference between a goal, an objective and purpose. What's the difference between those three? So this is truly into semantics, and that wasn't as a negative to your question, but more as we, we into what is your understanding of these words. And I think the first challenge we have in that is people will have different interpretation and understanding. So remember that. I think that's really important. So I do not want people to get hung up on it. But on the other hand, it's important to be clear on if you're sitting trying to define something, is am I getting to the nub of what's important to me? So um, a goal is typically a bit like the objective, actually quite finite things. They're, they're typically um, an item, a, a thing you can achieve at some point in time, and and you're done almost. Um, and that can be a little bit part of the problem. So goals, often people say you should have smart goals, really specific and measurable. Uh, that can actually diminish the value of them because sometimes the fluidity, the fact that it can evolve is really quite important. And then Goal next to objective, sometimes in some settings, it becomes before and sometimes after. So now I'm just confusing you, but um, uh, objective, yeah, I know it's a language that's quite often used in the interaction between a financial advisor and a client. Um, and in your language, quite often, it's almost the context of the goal. I want to um, pay off my mortgage. That's a goal. 
and you can put a time and deadline and a plan together. But for what for what sort of nice to use the word purpose, but but for what of objective is a better here in that what's the context? So don't worry so much about it's not my house yet. I owe the bank money. You know, that's that will be goal and context. But I bet you if you're talking to a businessman, owner, woman, um, and you ask you have those two vocabularies in, quite often your objective will come before the goal. That will be steps along to get to the goal. So my advice to anybody is whichever language you use, those two, I'm not too fussed whether it's one or the other. There might be some legalese in your profession that's important that you use one versus the other. Go with it. But um, to use your, to use a word that you talked about earlier, both of those are finite, aren't they? They can yes. be achieved. Yes. And, and, and whether one comes before the other or whether you call one of the milestones towards it or something doesn't matter too much. So that's objectives and goals. Where does purpose fit into this? So purpose tends to be quite a bit deeper. Um, and purpose will sort of be what gets us up in the morning. Um, and for purpose to probably be a, a genuine purpose, it is actually something that really influences our thinking, our priorities, our daily actions. Um, interesting enough, of course, in some cases, it's really clear what it is. People have purpose and it makes life to typically much easier for them. It's much easier for them to know what to say no to and yes to if they have a really clear purpose. This is the difference I want to make in the world, the dent I want to make in the universe, whatever big terminology they want. Um, others, uh, yeah, it's almost like they are floundering a little bit. They're saying yes to all the things that other people want. So they're sort of getting led by others. Somebody who lives purposeful, really clear, another term, meaning with life will tend to be very good at prioritizing the time. Uh, and as coaches, we often work typically in the business space, I have to say. So therefore, it's quite often a work orientated. What difference do I want to work in, in my work, in my organization? And there's a really distinction between the two type of leaders, the ones that is really clear. This is what I want to achieve. I want to, in a couple of years time, to achieve something. Could be a goal orientated, but we try to we try to make it a bit more as a, what would you be really proud of if you weren't even here by that time that you had achieved or beyond that? Um, and that can give them really purpose and clarity on prioritization, where they add value, what they want to be good at, what they want to be competent at to be able to achieve that. So is pride a word we can bring in here then that you've touched on there? Is, is, is one, how do we know whether the thing we're working towards is purposeful or goal or objective? And I wonder if pride is one criteria we could apply. Yes, if you take the positive side of pride, because there'll, there'll be a lot of people who feel very uncomfortable about uh, pride or and other people look at them as like they want to be measured. So that's sort of the external validation of what they're doing. It should really be the internal. Uh, so the self-worth is sometimes an expression that is used around that. Um, and it's the internal that you feel good about yourself, that you're doing what you think is important and positive, and not that it's validated by success and achievement by itself. Sometimes they're aligned, but they're not always. And they're not reliant upon each other. No, it's well not reliant, but it's interesting. <laughs> tricky, really clear tricky ground, purpose, is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if you're really clear on the, the internal side, what difference you want to make, I'm wondering if it wouldn't be you more li likely to also actually achieve things and be successful in your life, um, and be seen like that because it's really clear what you want to do. Um, if that makes sense, but I would say maybe the opposite isn't the case. Just because you're successful in external terms, that you have a big house, um, that you have nice things around you, 
that that means actually you feel a high level of self-worth and purpose and meaning with life. So I I'd sometimes, and I'm going to test this against you because you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will. Um, I sometimes talk about the, the classic cliche of wealth, the yacht, right? If somebody um, becomes rich and they buy a yacht in order to show off that they're rich and they can go and sell it in rich places, in Monte Carlo or whatever cliche mm-hmm. we want to use, you know, um, that's likely to be something that's going to be an external self-worth and therefore they're going to continually chase it, which is probably going to make them unhappy ultimately. Whereas somebody who buys a yacht because they absolutely love sailing and it's the time that they get to go out with their friends and their kids come along with them and they make a day of it, that's much more purposeful and therefore they're going to enjoy having the yacht and that's going to bring them well-being. How do you feel about that analogy? And and actually, I'm very close to the similar analogy I use. Uh, And now you come back to the word pride. You can imagine two different types of pride. The one that is proud because look what I have versus I was so proud I in, in myself and my ability to navigate a very difficult ocean that I haven't done before. And we had some setbacks and difficulties that I conquered. it. Mm-hmm. That would be a different type of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, sometimes I can go in the speaking circuits afterwards, afterwards and talk about the achievement and feel good about it and external, but the initial drive would be an purpose and uh, an enjoyment of doing that. Okay. Okay, so let's just try and dial things down a little bit now, because I've just raised it into yachts and setting the world and all that kind of stuff, Um, because living a life with meaning and purpose can sound really daunting. Um, In fact, I changed a word in my terminology I've used on this, where I've talked for a little while of living a life of meaning and purpose. And just recently, I've changed it to living a life with meaning and purpose. The difference being you haven't got to spend your entire day every day creating change in, and purpose in the world. But having something in your life that is purposeful is important. What do you think to that? Oh, I like actually your build because I think that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself if you almost dedicate your entire being and life to it rather than recognize actually we need to relax sometimes as well. We need to do things we enjoy just because we enjoy it. That is away from what gives us purpose. Um, take the simple example. We have uh, children um many will start in also almost a starting point of this is my purpose in life to bring up lovely children and enjoy that and all that but you know sometimes you need some space away from those bloody children don't you <laughs> <laughs> um as a recent but, empty nester i'm going to avoid commenting on that <laughs> yeah, exactly but it, when you, maybe at that point you really realize that actually sometimes you let go of some of yourself to dedicate it to that and i think that could be um, uh, for for some that comes to that stage, they will sort of look back and saying, "Those years, yes, I probably did the right thing, but did I sometimes sacrifice others, uh, and could I have had a better balance in that time while still doing the best I could for my children?" That's an interesting word you put in there. Sacrifice. Does doing something with meaning and purpose involve sacrifice? I think it it involves sometimes getting up in the morning and tackling some of the difficult things. Even when it's hard, you still get up, you still go and drive at it because if it's such an easy purpose, easy thing to do, how much is going to motivate you? We know it's something to, um, to give the pride then, is it? Yes, yeah. Uh, and we, we know from research around motivation that uh, on on what motivates people, uh, sometimes called the Goldilocks principle, you, you want something that's hard, that stretches you, but not so hard as impossible. And then you'll quickly lose that sense of uh, uh, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm getting there type of thing. And if it's too easy, well, you don't need to push yourself. You're not going to learn. You're not going to grow. So you, it, the motivation will be much, much lower. So 
Okay, I'm, I'm going to offer a tiny, tiny challenge to that, because I'm just thinking one of the things that I've done in my life, which was the most purposeful thing, was setting up a youth cricket section, my local village club. And that wasn't easy, and it was a lot of work and effort. But one of the things that we tried to make very easy was parents who were bringing their children along up out at the bar for an hour um, or run the barbecue or maybe even go and train as a coach and come and help the little ones. You know, <laughs> that wasn't difficult for them to do, but it was very purposeful. What do you mean, difficult for you or for them? For them, for them. It was very easy to just go stand behind the bar for an hour, but they enjoyed their Friday evening at the club so much more because they were helping out. But is that their purpose in life? No, but it gave them a bit of purpose. <laughs> Not enough? It it doesn't feel big enough to be a, a, a big purpose that drives them. Okay. I, I I I like the idea that um that's a difference between life of meaning and purpose, life with meaning and purpose. Yes. Because and I, I, yes. Yeah. Putting a few things in your life that you're doing to help others is gonna give you a feeling of purpose. I'm wondering, you see, if we can encourage people to take just a little step, you know, going from I don't have a great little purpose in life to I've got to go and set up a charity, you know. But yes. if we can just say, well, just go and help out your local scout hut for an hour. And and then slowly but surely that will become organising the ten tours or whatever equivalent thing it might be. I'm just wondering if that could be a way of easing people in. Yes, and you know, and it's an interesting one. This one because I think it can play a bit back into the whole conversation that uh, an advisor would have with a client is how big a, does an ambition, a purpose need to be to be fulfilling enough for that person to feel really happy in their life that what they're doing has meaning. Uh, and it doesn't all need to be big, grand gestures. It can just be that, yeah, they are volunteer down in the local club or cafe or something. And that's enough to give them meaning in life. They're meeting, chatting to people. And interesting enough, they might just have that one conversation with somebody who's lonely. And when you think about it, that made a big difference to one person. That is still, in the big scheme of things, uh, grand, isn't it? Uh, save the person's life maybe even you know so we shouldn't it's really we have to be careful not to make blow everything has to be big yeah. to have purpose and meaning for those individuals and that's the challenge of when we have the conversation at what point do we feel now we understand what really drives them um and that's that's why also when we ask the questions around it even if you ask yourself uh, asking words like what gives you meaning in life uh, actually let me try it out with you chris have you oh, got a pen to hand or you can probably remember this even if you don't have a pen to hand. I'm going to ask you four questions. And I just want you to think of the first answer to this. Okay. And the, the first answer isn't necessarily a complete answer. It's just the first thought you almost have. What direction does your thought go? Are you ready? Okay. Number one. I'm nervous. What gives you meaning in life? Impact on uh, happiness of others. Good. What gives you purpose in life? Oh, is that different? Um, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Just stick it to it. Let's leave it there okay. for now. What are your goals in life? Uh, I don't really have any. I My goal in life is in some ways not to have goals. And to, I say yes to everything and just see what happens and make it fun. So therefore, my goal is to have a lot of interest and fun. Right. Interesting now. Okay, what do you enjoy doing? Um, listening to music and um, hearing stories of people who listen to this, genuinely listen to this podcast and have made massive changes to their lives. Right. 
So the reason I put those four, and I didn't want big, complete, phenomenal answers, is just, we've talked about semantics before, we, I'm using just four different terminologies, and isn't it interesting, you start to come from four different angles. Okay. And you can also argue that each of them, how much are they linked? How much is what you enjoy around your music linked to the difference you make, to the purpose, to the meaning? So I think when we ask these questions for ourselves, we have to almost just allow it to come from different angles. And a good coach, what they would do is look for patterns. Are there things that connect them? Are there things that start to repeat, that start to feel, oh, I'm starting to get to something that feels it's almost lying at a value place, a something that makes that's so important for the individual in what they do, how they interact, how they work with other people, the difference they're making. Now we might be starting to get to something that seems to be the threat through all of this, what that person might be remembered for long after they're not here. But could we just tell me those four again? Because I was concentrating. So anybody yeah, listening? That's absolutely uh, fine. Especially yeah. if they might want to either sit down in a quiet room and just go through those four themselves, or maybe couples or friends could do this to each other. Um, yes. So the four are? What gives you meaning in life? What gives you purpose in life? What are your goals in life? And uh, what do you enjoy doing? Wow. Okay. Interesting. That's a great exercise. Thank you. Um so let's just 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 kind of going towards finishing with with uh, the similar kind of issue about um, getting deeper, because one thing I know you found because you do a lot of training with financial advisors and so do I. And one thing that we often find with advisors, particularly and we do this to ourselves, it's equally the same for the public, um, is that we stop too soon. Yeah. We ask somebody, so what's important in your life? My children. Great. Or what do you want to do in retirement? I want to travel. Great, let's help you do that. But that's not purposeful. That's goal. It's 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 finite. So, exactly. how do we help ourselves, and how do advisors help their clients to get that one step deeper, maybe more than one step? Yeah, but that's to be honest. It's asking that same question again then about whatever the answer was. So, children, it seems so obvious. Or let's take a travel one. So, um, I travel. That's important to me. That's what I want to do. Um, okay, what makes travel important to you? Or what do you enjoy about it? Because then what typically they come with, and, and the answer can go many different directions, isn't it? It could be the cultural aspect. Uh, it could just be getting away from where I am. Um, it could be the, the fact they're traveling with somebody and they're experiencing something together. Um, and all of these will actually in itself mean that you're still not there yet. Because then you would ask, so... If the, if the answer is uh, because I enjoy going to new places with my partner, right? What is it you enjoy about that? Or what does that give you? What's important about that? Um, and that, That's a key question to be asking. So what is yeah. important about that? What is it you enjoy about that? I just yeah. keep asking that question. And what's important, see, and the, the trick I feel that, that works with them is that they're simple. They're not difficult. They're not overwhelming. And the conversation starts to flow. And then you might at some point start to feel, well, I'm not getting to the real number of things here. And particularly if you have a longer conversation, you notice there's a, again a pattern with other things they're talking about. Oh, it's, we, there might be other goals I have. And, but it comes down to the knob of it is they have some, they're there with somebody when they're doing it. Somebody they love, they care for. Right. Now I'm getting a pattern here. So what actually we need to do, if you were the financial advisor, we need to help that person get to a place where they have the space, the time, the opportunity to do that. 
And you see, that's why often you so you might think, well, so, so this is not about a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So they might maybe they don't need to wait, wait 15 years to build up a vast fortune to do that. They could probably live on a smaller budget and still do that. Um, and so therefore, maybe some of the goals have set themselves of when they're going to retire, how they're going to retire, the wealth they have, um, the size of house, whatever they, they have. Well, fundamentally, what you're talking about is being with somebody. So do you need uh, an extra house somewhere, an extra property somewhere in the southern France, when actually what you enjoy is being with your wife? Does that need a house to be able to do that? Does it need a yacht? <laughs> if they're talking about having this fantastic yacht, but fundamentally what they want is to be with people that they love. Do you need a yacht to be with people? Yeah, and you have in the last 90 seconds there just summed up financial well-being beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Before we finish, I've got one other kind of topic area to just think about. And the answer may well be the same, but I just want to explore it for a second, which is um, this word, which is uh, there's, there's a word which is is so misused and in fact probably is even redundant these days. Um, but we still tend to use it, which is retirement. Mm-hmm. Now, in my experience, as a both as a business coach and also a financial advisor for many years, I find that I would say most people, well, that could be 51%, but most people get to the point of retirement without thinking a great deal about what they're going to do post that, either not working or financial independence or changing their working, whatever it might be. But when you get to that moment when you're working because you want to because not because you have to when you're no longer accumulating yes most people are head down getting through life so how can we help those people to think well what does retirement mean for you i mean well, maybe that's the question i don't know but what question would you are what questions would you ask to help people think about that well it depends a little bit on how they respond almost to the first question there when you start to explore what would what would the world look after you retire so I will not have nearly as much as you, as you in experience of working in that particular subject. The one place where it does happen is when uh, some of the uh, sort of senior executives we work with uh, uh, either sell the business, so business exit, that's usually a good point uh, for that sort of conversation, or they're nearing retirement. But that's not necessarily, I'll say, the, the bulk of what we work with. But what I find interesting and, and the parallel would be the business owner that wants to sell the business. And then after they sell the business, um, uh, it's like this milestone and they usually want the same amount of money. It's a funny number. It's always one, a million pounds if they're small ones or sometimes they're much bigger, of course. Um, and then when they want to do it, it's five years. Pretty much always. <laughs> Three years is too close. I cannot quite figure out how they can do it so quickly. And anything by five, they cannot imagine working in this business for more than five. It's that sort of thing typically. But what's important here is that they usually haven't thought it through what's going to happen afterwards. And I think I have part of the issue is the meaning with life after uh, stopping working because work is so in, in the western culture such an important part of who we are how when, we present ourselves our external self-worth. Is, when you meet somebody at a party you always say so what do you do don't you? Yes. yeah and it's this external self-worth probably even more than the internal one uh, what is important to them is more this is what i stand for and what i am in the community and the status that i have because i'm senior or my ex- expertise in some area what happens the day they have sold their business or they stop their career as a senior something or an expert in an area? What do you do? I'm retired. And it feels like, okay, so you're basically just downhill now and about to finish <laughs> stuff. But what I've found is because then what we do is we work on, well, so what will you do almost, imagine a, a week or two after you sold your business, what will you do? First answer, travel. 
Every time. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay. How long will you travel for? Ah, a couple of weeks and then usually want to get home. Okay. So let's make it week three then after your retirement. What will you do then? And quite often it's like a big sort of gaping hole there. They haven't thought about it. Sometimes if they're interested in golf, they'll be playing golf. How much of your time will you be spending doing that? And then, and then you start to get the knob of the problem. You need to figure out where you're going to spend your life with. But what's really interesting, once they start to think about it and they start to get something in the head around it, that could be charity work. It could be non-executive jobs. It could be whatever it is. Once they start to get their plan in the head, what I am finding is then the energy starts to really rocket on doing that exit. Right. Because before they were, I knew they're not going to exit unless they have really clarity on they don't really want to exit. It will only be health and an external factor that will probably drive it in the end, unless they start to feel I will have purpose in life, I will have meaning, I can see myself having a great life afterwards. And and being defined by something. Yes. So at the moment, I, I'm I'm, exact, I'm that person. You know, I sold a business, and uh, that business defined me. Ovation Finance defines. <laughs> I founded it. it. It's everything. All my so life beyond that was scary. Um, and so I found purpose in the financial well-being and employee ownership and all that kind of stuff. So I I, I get this perhaps as much as anybody does the importance yeah, yeah. of um, uh, of spending that time before you sell, working what it's going to be. The, the phrase I would use is a lot easier to be pulled than pushed. It's a yes. lot to be pulled into something by something exciting calling you. Than yeah, something you look forward to. Yes, rather than the the, uh, the the wife or the husband or the executive team, if you're in business, with their feet behind you, pushing you out the door. You know, yeah, yeah. it's a lot easier to be pulled than pushed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that would be my advice to think about it well ahead and start to plan for how you're going to make that happen. Um, and probably also with that sort of assumption that you will have the health, assuming that that's likely, they have the health and the energy um, to go and do things afterwards, uh, that will be, again, taxing them, learning something new, growing and developing. Why should you stop growing and learning and developing just because you retire? I would almost go the other way. That's a great opportunity to spend more time on, on what they want to do. So I had one I worked with, they went into academia. Not to be a lecturer initially, that's where they ended up, because they asked, what they wanted to do was to study something that had always been on the mind that they actually wanted to understand better. Yeah, that, that, that's where I am, studying happiness. I absolutely get that. I'd just like to finish with one question. One of our listeners is a chap called David Owen, and he's asked me to ask you. He's, so he's in the world of financial advice. But I think this will be interesting for our, our general listeners. He's asked me to ask you a specific question, which is this. Um, do our own biases find their way into our questions? And how does this impact client outcomes? The answer is undoubtedly yes. Um, and let's start with the first one, uh, bias blind spot. Bias blind spot. Okay, yes. what's that? Bias, bias blind spot is that we always can see others have lots of biases, but we don't have any biases. <laughs> We are rife with biases, and I would I would expand the term to be go be go beyond those that sort of biases term. See, it's about our values. It's about how we look at the world, how we interpret the world. All of those will affect how we interact with other people, and it will affect our questions. And and you will know from your training how hard it is to keep them out of the conversation, so you don't start to influence the client to be actually more aligned with your thinking. Because the reality is, if you're an advisor, your questions will take the conversation in a certain direction. 
So it will undoubtedly be bit biased from you just on what you want to achieve with the meeting. The fact you're managing and there'll be things you think are more interesting than others. Um, even even might, what uh, I'm doing right now, for those that are happy watching, I'm nodding in agreement at you. Even that is a form of bias, isn't it? Just say yes. Thank you for the uh, affirmation of my point here. But that's yeah, great. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let me take a simple example. So, as in um, uh, a, a client is likely to, or whoever we talk with, is likely to have a. We will have it as well. A status quo bias. We prefer actually everything to be as it is. So, um, uh, a client come in to an advisor. And what they fundamentally want is for you as the advisor to improve maybe the management of their money without really them having to make any difference in how they live their life now. Really. That's what they want. Whereas you as the financial advisor almost sit on your side. No, I want to be able to change their lives and make them do different things That is because that will make them happier. And they're quite saying, nah, I don't want that. I want the patient to be the same. But you might as an advisor, also because you've not done the well-being, look at them and think, they could be so much happier if they did things differently. So now you're already there, got a conflict. You're built into the conversation. And of course, you're doing it with a good heart. You're trying to be helpful. But just recognize you're actually arriving with a bias that you want to help them. And they may not sort of want to be helped unless you start to maybe have a conversation where they suddenly get a light switch on and say, Ah, I would like to change. Can I can I share a very quick story? I I grew up in a village in Somerset, and um, I went travelling when I was eighteen, and then I went to university, and then I came back, and there was one of my friends um, who had was still living in the village, and he was still doing the same job from when he left school, and I was excitedly telling him about what's out there in the world, and you know the different countries and this, and he was just not interested, and I was like, just go and live in another city for a while, you'll love it, and he was just, but I'm happy. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, but you could be more happy. <laughs> <laughs> You're happy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so it, 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 that's why it's a really hard thing, this listening and asking the right question, because uh, as you tried, try to pull it so far back that you listen with no judgment. You truly listen to try and understand how does the client think? Uh, how do they process information? What is it that makes them happy? And then you can on the side, maybe if you've done some, some studying and some courses around to understand what generally makes people happy and what might track them the other way. So then you will, of course, try to help them by asking some questions that maybe make them start to see a different perspective. But it is a biased thing by nature. So just be careful that you're doing it for the right reason and for the right purpose. And actually, you are really in the service of the client. Fantastic. Yeah, and I could talk to you for absolutely hours. So, uh, but we have to call an end to it at some point <laughs> in time. So, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Enjoyed it as well, Chris. Thank you. Well, very interesting conversation indeed. What did you glean from that, Tomo? Well, I've, firstly, I have to confess, I've, I've known Jan for, for, for many years as well. He helped train me in my coaching and still does. He still provides an awful lot of, um, lot of help. I think it just shows it's a very complicated area and everybody is very different on this sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's this idea of purpose is far bigger than this just finite goals and objectives. And I know he made the point about semantics and I, and, and I appreciate that, but I think he definitely explained the difference between that and, and what is something that's it's quite more intrinsic it's quite more purpose driven and and what really came out 
is how difficult it is for some people to find out what that is. Yeah. So if it takes a while, then take the pressure off yourself. That's okay that it might take a while to find that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I mean, I listened to it with some interest, actually. And I kind of, I listened to it and I thought, have I got that? Have I entirely got what it is he's trying to say? And then uh, what what clinched it for me is I sat down and, and did that exercise that he set for you, Chris. The four you, words. Yeah, the four words. What gives you meaning in life? What gives you purpose? What are your goals? And you know, where do you find your enjoyment? And it was the meaning in life was the one that I found the most difficult. I really had to think long and hard. And in the end, I just crystallise it down to I just I want to love and be loved. And that to me seemed like my meaning in life. My purpose was to enjoy the company. And I guess the love, again, it comes down to love a lot of the time of my partner, my son, my family, my friends, to uh, work, uh, having enough money to pursue my goals was another purpose as well, which leads us on to my goals. And my goals have changed, obviously, the older I've gotten. I think now my main goal is just to to stay well and to, to, to live as long and an active a life as I possibly can. Um, and what gives me enjoyment? Um, my work still gives me some enjoyment, although it's by no means the most important thing in my life. But I was thinking it's all those other things, food, drink, which we've discussed, uh, travel, exercise, football, cricket, friendship, my dog, things like that. So, um, yeah, that was I, I found that very useful. And does that give me a greater sense of um, of all of those things? I, 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 I think it does in a way, but it's certainly the. I found it quite an interesting exercise. I, I want to just reach out to the financial planners that listen to this podcast here, because that four words exercise, which I struggled with when he was doing it, but it was, that was the point. It just revealed how those four different words can give a completely different response. And when financial planners are talking to clients, very often you hear questions such as what does money mean to you? Or what's your relationship with money? And the problem with those questions is that it makes the entire conversation to be about money. It puts money at the forefront and money shouldn't be at the forefront. Our lives and what makes us happy should be at the forefront. And then we bring money in, not quite as an afterthought, but as a tool to make it make it work. Um, I have worked with a lot of financial planners, both through the financial wellbeing certificate that we do at the Institute for Financial Wellbeing, but also working with firms, helping them put financial wellbeing processes into their businesses. And a lot of advisors are a bit scared of this. And they revert to talking about the money, talking about the investments, because it's what they know. It's easier. It's not, it's not awkward. And the reason for that is because they haven't, taken any training or done any practice so the logic would say uh, or that there's two forms of logic i'm going into a meeting i'm feeling uncomfortable with how this meeting might go either i don't do it that way i do it a different way or i practice and do it that way better and i would thoroughly recommend and those four words just illustrates how easy it is to get it wrong if you haven't had any training and practice so i would just urge them to just get a little bit of training whether it's Quiver do a brilliant, uh, the Anne's company, Quiver Management, do a great short-term coaching course. Um, we cover coaching in the financial well-being certificate a bit as well. Just go and get a little bit of training, and you'll find this is actually really easy and hugely fun, almost as much fun as it is going to Luxembourg. <laughs> Chris, I want to ask you a question, which is actually, maybe it's connected or not, I don't know, but 
we've talked a lot, obviously, as we do every week about financial well-being. You're talking about recommending that people go out and they get training. Now, since you launched the Institute of Financial Well-Being, what, a couple of years ago, and obviously, uh, although you, you will acknowledge that you didn't invent the term financial well-being, you've certainly, I would argue, popularised it in a massive way. The, the, the line is, David, I, I did invent it. Genuinely, I did invent it. I just didn't know that two other people had invented it before me. <laughs> <laughs> but But... What sort of, now that it's become a much more pervasive thing in the financial world, what sort of feedback are you getting from advisors that maybe have come to it fresh, didn't really know what it was before, uh, and are now starting to take it into their working practices? Uh, I, I might get a bit emotional at this, David. Um, I get the most extraordinary stories. I get the most extraordinary stories back. And it's the thing about all of this that I love the most to seeing the impact on people's lives. Um, a quick shout out to one of our favorite advisors of financial wellbeing, financial planners, Dave Lamb. Um, and Dave often shares, um, just cause he's excited. I just come out of a meeting with somebody and we just, I just didn't talk for five minutes and they opened up like they never have before. Um, People, as we go through the financial wellbeing certificate, we have WhatsApp groups and they, they go away and practice some of the things they're learning and they come back excited because somebody they spoke to somebody and we didn't talk about their investments. And instead, they're, they're going to change their jobs because they wanted to do this all their lives. They didn't know they could. And ah, all of these stories I hear. Um, the advisors love it. They're so excited. I know people who have changed career, lots of people who have changed career because of this stuff. Um, I know people who have gone the other way, who have become uh, either financial advisors have become coaches. I know people who are psychologists who have become advisors. Everybody's Everybody who gets into this stuff absolutely loves it because of the impact it has on people's lives. And hearing those stories of somebody who has um, stopped doing something that makes them unhappy and started doing something that makes them more happy is just absolutely gets you in the feelies, you know? Tom, let me ask you the same question because because pretty much your your journey as a as a, a slightly younger man than the two of us uh, mm-hmm. as a financial planner I'm I'm thinking and correct me if I'm wrong but you would have come to work for Ovation this sort of around about the time that Chris had written his book and certainly I'm guessing that your training and your background didn't necessarily include the notion of financial uh, well being however during your time at Ovation and your increasing involvement in the Institute of Financial Wellbeing, this must have become a very important part of your life and work as an advisor. So how has it changed the way in which you go about doing things? Mm, mm, that's a good good point. So it's worth, worth my, Chris, you will believe this. It was uh, last week. It was my eighth anniversary. Was it really? In Ovation. I can't believe that time's gone. But yeah, very much. And when I first... Uh, when, I, when I first came to Ovation, I was, I was advising people, but I was a fairly fairly inexperienced advisor who who quite frankly all they'd really learned was was the technical the technical ran down your throat when you first start learning to be a financial advisor because you've got to pass certain exams to, to for the regulator to allow you to advise and it's all technical 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 um but it, from the moment i walked in and, and was even interviewed at ovation i could feel that it was going to be different um and then i, I think i was very fortunate that that well, the, the whole well-being piece that we were doing was was starting to be formulated and, and kicking on, and I've loved it. I've loved it. And and we talk about purpose. What gives somebody purpose and meaning in life? And for me, right now, I'm going to be working for quite some years to come because of my age. And I do wonder whether I would have so much purpose if I wasn't having the kind of conversations I'm having with clients. If it was simply all about the money, don't get me wrong. 
there are times where I have to give financial advice and I have to make sure that people's money is absolutely looked after properly and, and we're, we're making it work the way it should work. But if I wasn't having the kind of conversations that this whole financial wellbeing journey I've been on enables me to have, as we've experienced in our conversations, David, as, as client and advisor, I don't think I'd be half as happy. I genuinely mean that. Um, you can see the impact you're having on people's lives a bit more. And quite frankly, it's, it's a really fun way to make a living. So, yeah, yes, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's no, my journey. I think journey. it does. I mean, and, and, and forgive me for just kind of going off at a tangent slightly, but it just occurred to me hearing Chris talk, you know, how how important this has become, not just hopefully for the people who listen to this podcast, but for you guys too as well, and how clearly you are um, inspired by the work that you do and, and listening to you say why, I think really brings that home to me. So I hope you've all found that useful at home. Um I certainly have. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, lovely to chat, everybody. Thanks as well to uh, producer Tammy, who works away in the background and makes it all work uh, and, and, and tidies things up when we mess up. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be back messing things up again in the very near future. But for now, thanks very much for listening to another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.